Welcome to Explaining Brazil, a podcast brought to you by The Brazilian Report in partnership with HuffPost Brazil. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, Editor-in-Chief of The Brazilian Report. In this space, we will talk about Brazilian politics, economics, and social issues. And as usual, I'm joined by Kiada Long, a staff writer at The Brazilian Report. Hello, Kiada. Hi, Gustavo. Great to be here. Great having you here. Uh, today, the subject of our podcast is not a pleasant pleasant one. Uh, we're going to talk about the murder of Marielle Franco, a Rio de Janeiro city councilor who was shot dead last week on Wednesday, uh, going on her way back home from a black women's empowerment event. Um, on the following days, thousands of Brazilians took to the streets protesting um, the crime, asking for justice for her and for Anderson Gomes, uh, her driver, who was also shot dead, the the crime has all the the characteristics of an assassination. Uh, the number of shots, uh, she was shot five times in the head, and uh, nothing was stolen from her vehicle. So, um, and she was a, a human rights activist who did not hesitate to point fingers at public officials. Uh, who disrespected uh, in peri peripheral communities. Kada, you're in Rio de Janeiro. Can you tell us a bit ab about how the mood of the city has been transformed since the crime? Sure. So, Marielle's death carried a really symbolic weight. You know, she was born in a low-income favela community called Mare, which is one of the biggest favela complexes in Rio in the north zone here. In addition to that, you know, she was black, she was queer, and she was a woman in politics. On top of that, she was standing up for human rights within the political arena of Rio's city government. Any one of those things by themselves is difficult. All of those together really made her into somebody who was very symbolic for a lot of people in the city. She was known for her activism and her advocacy for human rights issues. She was known for denouncing police violence and investigating corruption in Rio's favelas. She was on the investigative committee, the parliamentary investigative committee into, into militias. So, you know, she was looking at a lot of really important things. Um, a few days before her death, she had openly criticized the unexplained deaths of residents in some of the poor neighborhoods of the city's North Zone. So I think a day before she died, she tweeted, about Mateus Melo, who was a resident in the North Zone, who was shot on his way home after church. Um, and she asked in this tweet, how many more people need to die before this war ends? By which she meant um, the unjustified and sometimes extrajudicial killings of residents in these lower income areas by police or by people who are linked to police. And uh, it's like you said, um, she was a woman, a black woman from the favela. Uh, in Brazil, we, we always say that, uh, quote-unquote, real people are not represented in, the, in public offices. And uh, she was a rare case of uh, a, a vote, uh, uh, someone voted by a, a lot of different people. She, she was not voted by a... a a, a union or, or, or a pressure group. She was voted by uh, people from all over the city. 
And uh, another thing that strikes me in this case is um, that she's just the last of a laundry list of violence against people holding public office. Uh, o Globo, the, the new, uh, daily newspaper in Brazil, uh, published today uh, a story uh, showing that one po politician per month is killed in Brazil. Since January 2017, uh, 15 mayors or city councilors have been killed. None as high profile as Marielle Franco, but nonetheless, it's, it, it, it's problematic, especially uh, since we're going to have general elections in five months. Yeah, and Rio's legacy with that, with that type of crime definitely goes back much further than the last couple of years. Um, I do remember there was a piece, I think, in August 2016, um, which showed that there had been, I think, nine murders of people who were intending to run in municipal elections in Rio um, in October, so in a couple of months' time from there, who were all murdered and their cases were unsolved. Um, and it looked pretty clear that they were murdered by militias as well. Um, but I think this goes back to a, a longer history in Brazil, which I think you probably know more, more about than I do regarding militia involvement in politics. Yes, in Rio, it's especially in Rio, it's a major problem. A lot of uh, candidates are financed uh, by, by armed militias and uh, end up defending their interests. And it's really hard to prove their involvement. So that's why most of them get away with that. Um, and uh, the case with Marielle is also, uh, for me, disturbing because of some of the details around the crime. The bullets used to kill her and her driver came from a lot that was purchased by the federal police. Uh, I'm not saying that policemen uh, did it. Um, the uh, investigations have yet to prove that. But best case scenario, it shows how incompetent uh, our law enforcement agencies are that they simply lost a lot of ammunition that uh, has been used in over 50 crimes it has been reported, and including uh, a massacre in 2015 in Sao Paulo where 17 people were killed, including a teenager. Uh, all of that with ammunition bought by the Brazilian Federal Police. It's, it's disturbing to say the least, the very least. Yes, a lot of people here, you know, I remember within about half an hour of the news of Marielle's death breaking, everybody here was, was saying, it's a message. But the question remains, it's a message for who and what is the message? Yes, well, we, have, um, uh, we have published yesterday on the Brazilian Report a very interesting article by Claudio Couto, one of our columnists. And um, he was saying... Uh, The, the, the long-lasting effects of this crime and uh, how it will affect Rio and Brazilian politics in general uh, will not be felt immediately, but we, we are already have to start thinking on, one, uh, how it's going to affect the mood in the city that is undergoing a federal intervention. Uh, she was against the intervention. She was very vocal about it. Um, She was also in charge of the committee that was supposed to monitor the intervention for and, and keep an eye on 
potential human rights abuses. Exactly. And uh, so how, how real will be transformed by that? How, uh, for, for instance, uh, until this week, uh, the federal administration had yet to, to, to give any budget to the intervention. The, uh, the government was promising money, but uh, did nothing besides promise. And now they are saying almost one billion reais. Uh, the House of uh, Representatives are saying we will add another 1.5 billion. So now everybody wants to fund the intervention, but uh, um, what's going to be the practical ev uh, effect on Rio? Because, like you said, um, a lot of military operations in Rio are being accused of conducting uh, abuses and uh, criminalized people b uh, for being poor and living in the wrong place of the city. Right, no, exactly. And Luis Fernando Pazan, who is the state governor in Rio, has said that, you know, as much as that budget would be great, currently their public security budget in this state is all tied up with delayed police salaries, which need to be paid. Like, almost 100% of that would have to go towards paying policemen in the first place. Um, which doesn't actually leave any extra money for this intervention. In addition to that, you know, you, you do have the fact that the military have been present in Rio for, for a month now. Um, their activities have largely been concentrated in Villa Kennedy, which is a small favela in the North Zone. Um, but that's, that's it. That's the only place that they've, they've really been. And uh, what's the latest on the movements? Because... The, the military has left Villa Kennedy, and uh, the government has said, well, that was our laboratory, and now we're going to assess the whole city. So what can we expect from the intervention from now on with this murder in mind? I can honestly say that I don't have a clue, to be, to be quite frank. Um, but that was something that also came up in a lot of conversations I had with people on the evening of Marielle's death and the, and the following day is that everybody was saying, we just don't know what is going to happen next. It's likely that her death will be used by the federal government as a justification to fund the intervention, but we don't know what the real-life consequences of that will be because we still don't really even know that much about what's been happening in Vila Kennedy. Yes, and uh, there's also, besides the impacts on the intervention, uh, we have a general election coming in October. So uh, another uh, another complicated uh, effect of this murder is how it's going to affect the um, the, the the political debate, because it, it, this um, this murder it strikes a blow on the extreme right wing argument that we should arm the population, that people with arms are uh, more capable of protecting themselves. Uh, but how do, uh, for instance, in Rio, what's the political mood right now? It's the worst affected city in Brazil by, by the case. Uh, how has it been in Rio this past week? Yeah, so I went to the march in memory of Marielle that happened last Thursday in the city, and it was very different to a lot of the other marches and protests that I've been to here in that it was very, very somber. Everybody was dressed in black, which never normally happens. Nobody wants to be 
confused with the black lock and become uh, become involved in the confusion that that entails. Um, but you know there was barely any chanting. Nobody was drinking beer, which is a big sign because people are always drinking beer at protests here. Um, but in addition to that, the crowd was a lot more mixed than normal. If you go to a lot of the protests here, normally it's largely a very white crowd. Um, here there were clearly people from all over the city. At one point I stopped to kind of watch it go by for a while. I was stood by the side for 20 minutes watching people walk past at a fairly steady pace. And at no point did the crowd thin. So her loss is being sorely felt here. And it's it's put a very sort of solemn hue on the city. And, and um, were those protests specific? Uh, was there any violence? Um on the Thursday, from what I know, there was not there was not really any violence. Um, I think the one on the following day, there was definitely um, some black bloc involvement and some military police involvement. But one of the remarkable things about the Thursday marches, the ones that happened the day after she died, was that for most of it, there was no military police presence for most of the walk, um, and, which, again, uh, is very rare. Was there any uh, brawl? Uh, because... One thing that also struck me hard with this case is how some people uh, try to politicize her death and um, criticizing her and say, well, she had it coming, she, she defended criminals. And uh, there was a, a big misinformation campaign to, to tarnish her reputation once she was killed, which is almost like a second killing, so to speak. Uh, a lot of people were accusing her, her of having a child, uh, for having a child with an incarcerated drug dealer, of um, being the candidate of a criminal uh, gang, Comando Vermelho, the Red Command in Rio, all which are falsehoods, but uh, there was a big misinformation uh, campaign. Was there any uh, brawl between people saying those kind of things and those who went to, the, to, to who took to the streets to mourn Marielle Franco. So I didn't see any of that in the streets on the first day. I think it was very raw, and I think that a lot of people were kind of not necessarily engaging in conversations outside of their immediate social circles on that day. But that's not to say that there haven't been tensions around it. There's a there's a famous bar here called Beep Beep. Um, and the other night, they stopped the music to offer a minute of silence in memory of Marielle. At which point, uh, somebody who claimed to be a policeman got up and started threatening people and said, what about the 200 policemen killed in Rio in the last however long? Um, and he left the bar and he came back with his gun and started really harassing people. And the owner ended up going to the police station with him. Um, so there's definitely a lot of tension right now around around these topics, and there's a lot of conflicting narratives because, as is always the case with fake news and online rumors, people are choosing to believe the truth that they think fits rather than actually examining the facts. No, it's very problematic because it was not people without uh, education, without uh, knowledge about how fake news works that were uh, sharing this kind of fake information there was a federal judge and uh, uh the leader of the what we call bullet caucus on in congress so people that are supposed to know better and they were spreading these falsehoods 
uh, this federal judge I mentioned, uh, she can face um, a disciplinary action that could lead to her losing her office, and the same could happen to the congressman, although Congress normally is very corporatist, and um, they tend to forgive pretty much anything from corruption to to fake news. So uh, it would surprise me if those people face any consequences. Which is a real shock and, frankly, a real shame. I, On a personal note, I don't feel that people in offices of power um, and who wield influence should get away with sharing information that has been proven false. And uh, Kiada, before we wrap it up, um, we talk about what Marielle Franco represented uh, because of the, the causes she stood for. So can you talk us about a little bit, uh, she, she was a city councilor for mere 13 months, but uh, it was, she was not your ordinary city councilor, was she? She was very active and uh, uh, she was not just showing up in office. No, exactly. Um, Marieli Franco might not have been in office for very long, but her legacy is certainly weighty and it bears thinking about how much she could have achieved had she been around for longer. So in little over a year, she had managed to install a free nighttime city crash for mothers who worked or studied in the evenings. Uh, she'd managed to put in place a permanent awareness campaign to tackle sexual harassment and sexual violence. She'd put together something called the Carioca Women's Dossier, which is a project to collect gender-based violence data in the city. She had managed to secure free assistance for construction and reforms for low-income family housing. Um, she had started a cultural development program around funk culture. She had put in place priority for civil servants to receive their payments before political actors, so they should receive their, their salaries before the mayor, before his vice, before his secretaries which is, is huge. And these are just some of, the, some of the things that she managed to put in place. So in a sentence, she delivered what she promised in campaign. <laughs> I, I think that's probably accurate, yes. I think she worked really, really hard. And she, you know, I have to say she was at everything I went to. She was at every single protest or march I showed up at. She was at so many of the events that I went to. You know, she was a really strong presence and a really strong life force in the city. Um, and I think what she managed to achieve in that time really just goes to show how exceptional she was as a city councillor. And we hope uh, her death won't be in vain, uh, hopefully. Uh, I think we're out of time. Thanks, Kiara, for, for joining me. Thanks to all of our listeners this week. We're glad you joined us. If you like what you heard, please take a few minutes to check out our reporting at The Brazilian Report. You can find new pieces on Brazilian politics, economics, and society every day on our website. That's brazilian.report. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast, so please do get in touch and let us know what you think or any suggestions that you have for things you'd like to hear from us. You can reach us via the Brazilian Reports website or on Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian underscore rep. This podcast was written by Chiara Long and produced by me, Gustavo Ribeiro, for the Brazilian Report. That's all for now. We'll see you next week. <laughs>